from phx.fm. This is Conversation with the Rabbi, featuring open, honest dialogue and sometimes unconventional perspectives on the world we all share. Welcome to another Conversation with the Rabbi. I'm Adrian McIntyre. We're joined today by Dan Hager, Senior Pastor at the All Saints Lutheran Church. And our host for this conversation, as always, is Rabbi Michael Bayo, CEO of the East Valley Jewish Community Center. Good morning, Rabbi. Good morning, Adrian. How are you? Good to be here. I am well. Thank you very much. Good morning, uh, Pastor Dan. How are you? Great, great. It's exciting to be here. My first podcast. Yes, there's that moment when one crosses the threshold and you can never go back. Uh, so we're, <laughs> <laughs> we're glad that you're here with us. To start this conversation off, Dan, why don't you give us just a brief overview of your work, your organization, the people you serve. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Yeah, so uh, I am a senior pastor here. And what that means is that we have another pastor on staff, and we have several other full-time people as well as part-time folks. So uh, I have the regular responsibilities of a pastor, but then I got all the things uh, that Mikhail has where you get emails and crises and uh, uh, having to do personnel evaluations. All the fun and, stuff. All the stuff. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, That's why I, we went to seminary. Exactly. <laughs> I, I could do ministry much longer if I didn't have email. I can tell you that right now. Uh, but uh, no, but the, the congregation, uh, uh, I've been at several congregations. This is my first one in Arizona. Uh, and um, I, I'm, I'm doing it from my own perspective. Uh, this is a very warm church. Uh, it, it, um, it, and it's a congregation that's really leads from its heart. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's, you know, significant in our times that we're probably a pretty diverse congregation in terms of viewpoints especially politically, which doesn't mean that all of our conversations go smoothly, but then we're able to unite, especially around things for service for others. Uh, so over the, uh, I'm particularly proud that uh, during this COVID time that uh, we've raised now, oh, it's close to 25, maybe $30,000 uh, to help out with uh, uh, the Navajo folks. Uh, and helping out with their one of the with the schools up there, and providing a kitchen and Chromebooks for everybody. So that that's the kind of people they are, and it's really fun to be part of a congregation that you you, you enjoy. I mean, they're just nice people. I would join here if I wasn't a pastor here. Absolutely. I have a question to kind of situate this in a broader landscape. Yeah, yeah. My grandfather was for many many years a pastor in the United Methodist Church. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, built a church here in Arizona uh, when my father was just a few years old and then moved to California, where later I was born. He then converted to uh, Seventh-day Adventism. And, and so I was raised in that community. But so with the perspective of trying to map a little bit the landscape of Protestant movements and so on, could you situate the Evangelical Lutheran Church kind of in that bigger landscape of yeah, Protestant yeah. Christianity? I do this all the time because, you know, I would say 40% of the people that join our church, this is their first Lutheran church to be part of. If, if you just look at Christianity in general, we have the, the major groupings, the, uh, the, the churches that come out of the, the Western tradition, the Roman tradition. They have the Coptic churches coming out of Africa. And then, of course, the Orthodox churches that, uh, that mostly moved east. Uh, and so most of the uh, religious groups in America spin off the Western tradition. Uh, and so uh, it's almost historically, 
you can see it that the, the earlier a church broke away from the Roman Catholic Church, the more um, bells and whistles of the Catholic Church they still carry with them. Uh, and so uh, uh, the, the Episcopal Church went the least distance because uh, they broke away from the bishops down. Uh, and so uh, uh, there's so many things in the Episcopal Church that look like uh, a Roman Catholic Church, other than, of course, they have women priests and they can get married. <laughs> uh, the Lutheran Church is a little bit uh, off from that, but not too far off. Uh, I would say the next over are the Presbyterians. Then you pick up the Methodists. Um, and then you start moving towards uh, what is the Southern Baptists, which were never really a uh, movement on a uh, with a higher structure. It was very much on a congregational level. Uh, and so most uh, what is called um, uh, non-denominational churches, the pastors have been trained with Baptist theology. Uh, and so that's kind of the spectrum. And then, of course, you have a lot of other things that fit in there. But that's, that's the general tell of that. So in, in some ways, Lutherans are conservative in the sense that they haven't moved that far from a lot of traditional doctrine. Uh, but the evangelical Lutheran church is socially very liberal. Uh, we have uh, women pastors for over 30 years now. Uh, we recently uh, went through a lot of discussion and we ordain uh, uh, gay and lesbian pastors and transgender pastors. So, um, you know, we're the liberals among the conservatives. If I may ask, uh, Pastor Dan, you know, I am here, the, the Jew that doesn't understand anything of what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> because everybody knows that all Jews get along. <laughs> so so uh, please uh, explain to me, are the differences among the various denominations in Christianity theological? And if they are theological, do one person looks at another person and says, oh, you're an even and you're going to burn in hell? Or is it not that? that? Like, I think that level of animosity is reserved for the Jews. potluck. No, no, no. That's only about who brings what okay. <laughs> to the community. Are the differences more, more theological or just in practice? It's a shifting thing. It's a very shifting thing. The, uh, the, if you look back historically at different forms of Christianity in America, you can pretty clearly see that a lot of it had to do with what group of immigrants brought it over. So there was, there was 100 years ago, there was probably about 20 different groups of Lutherans in the country because there was the Swedish Lutherans, the Norwegian Lutherans, the German Lutherans, the German Lutherans who were mad at the other German Lutherans. You know, uh, and so we had all that kind of division. And over the last hundred years, there's been this coming closer and closer together uh, with with those ethnic differences going down. There's still, of course, uh, a terrible racial divide uh, where Christians have not been able to overcome their propensity to only want to gather or only to gather. I shouldn't say want to only to gather with people of the same race. Which is, which is really sad given our theology. Um, but uh, then over time, what has happened is that most people, uh, if they're looking for church, they're looking for something that has things maybe within a central, 
the general field of theology, but they're just as concerned about daycare. And, uh, you know, do you have a good nursery? And do they have a good Sunday school program? And do I like their choir? Um, and so uh, most people who are shopping for a church tend to look a little bit at denomination or background, but they also tend to look a lot at uh, how conservative or liberal politically uh, a church is. So now politics has crept deeper into the divisions uh, between different denominations. Uh, and so the, the churches that tend to get along with each other better tend to have similar worldviews about politics and varying degrees of theology differences. You know, you mentioned that uh, politics has crept into religion. And, you know, we all know that we live in this great country where yeah. there is a concept of separation of church and state. And I always say that what makes this country great is that side by side with the doctrine of separation of church and state, there is no de facto separation of religion and state. Mm -hmm. Would you like to comment on that? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, uh, I'll, I'll comment it out from a, a personal perspective. I, my father uh, is a Lutheran pastor. Well, he died. Uh, my, my father was a, a Lutheran pastor. His, both of my grandfathers were Lutheran pastors. A bunch of uncles, uh, a bunch of cousins, Lutheran pastors. I was, I was so much on the inside of this that um, it was very comfortable for me. And so a big part of for me was to say, well, is this something I truly believe about the reality? In other words, that there is a reality here that is beyond my experience about God and how God has revealed God's self. And if I'm only talking to people that have my background, how am I going to know that? And so a big thing for me was uh, I, I chose after seminary not to get ordained to be a pastor, but rather take some time to explore this. And so I went off to Japan uh, to teach English for the Lutheran Church, particularly because I wanted to meet Christians who were not Americans. I wanted to meet Christians who who became Christians despite the fact that it would put them on the outs with their own culture. Um, and so um, I'm a little bit more sensitive to how um, we, we all blur the lines between our, our uh, cultural worldviews and our religious worldviews. Uh, you know, uh, and one of the things in seminary that they teach you very well is they constantly remind you that if you were reading uh, about Jesus and the disciples, uh, that uh, they weren't Gentiles, they were Jews. Uh, and you need to listen within the context of what they were talking about and not just to throw in a modern context. Otherwise, you're going to dampen the impact of the scripture in your heart. So, yeah. So I, I didn't really answer your question. But no, but I, 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 I think that you answered it like a Jew. <laughs> good, good. Now, I'll take that as a great compliment. <laughs> right, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'll translate that as I answered it like Jesus. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's why, you know, <laughs> it's a great compliment. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting that uh, you you wanted to expose yourself uh, uh, outside of your community before you went to seminary. No, I, I uh, after seminary. 
before oh, I became oh. a pastor. Yeah. Oh, before, yeah, that's what I meant. Before you yeah. became a pastor and everything, by me, it happened on the other side. Oh, meaning okay. After, after I became a rabbi and worked as a rabbi and everything, my religious journey brought me to ah. open up my window and start discovering that there is a, a world out there um both a Jewish and non-Jewish that I did not know before. I, I was raised and I will I grew up from most of my uh my my the first half of my life or the three quarters of my life in a very sheltered and secluded world, I would say ultra orthodoxy. That was my world. And uh, and if I look back in time and I and I look at my positions, theological positions today, or political position that I have today, and I look back in time, and if somebody would have told me 10 years ago, I would have said, no way, tell me what you smoked in the morning because <laughs> you are hallucinating. Um, and it's fascinating how people change and we change yeah. and... Yeah. And 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 change can be very good and very fulfilling. Yeah, it, you know, and, and it, it is um, it, what it, what it means to follow God is is the assumption that you will go places that you did not plan on going. Because if you only go places that you wanted to go to, then how can you say you're following God? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can can we really follow God? <laughs> no, I'm serious. Yeah, As, uh, I'm asking from a from a theologian to another. Can we follow God, or or is that is that path achievable? Oh yeah. Uh, well, I mean, uh, as a Lutheran, I I totally believe in God's grace, uh, and so part of me following God is is coming to a realization of conscious constantly of my failures, uh, and doing God's will, and that that's okay. Uh, that that's what it, that what it means to follow God is to first and foremost uh, be open with God about your failures, and if that's the only way that I follow God in my life, that's that's really good enough. You know, I I, I would hope for more. I would hope that I could somehow be more loving, more righteous, more generous. Uh, but if I just realize that um, the way I'm instinct to do things isn't God's way. And that sometimes I have to ask God to take me back again. That's that's enough. That's following God for me. This is a gross oversimplification of a of a complex moment in in history, but certainly the Protestant Reformation was in in some very large part an attempt to reinstate the place of God and one's direct relationship with God. Yeah. Uh, above the bureaucracy of the church. And that's, it seems to me, put leaders in churches like yours in an interesting position because you are senior pastor. And so there's an authority that goes with that position and with the responsibilities you have with regard to the congregation and to the, the operations of the church. But at the same time, you're telling people that their direct relationship with God is the thing, not their relationship with you. Right. Uh, how does that, to circle back to, to Rabbi's question a few minutes ago, how does that situate you in a world where this worldly uh, concerns, uh, whether they are, you know, politics or, or otherwise, puts you in a really interesting position? You're not in between your members and their faith. 
you're adjacent to it, and yeah. yet you lead them. Can you talk about that? Yeah, uh, there is a um, almost, and, and it's somewhat fading. I have to say, uh, as our, our as organized religion is having less of an impact on people's concept of uh, of a relationship with God. And I don't, I'm not saying that in a pejorative sense or anything like that. It's just, it's just a fact um, that the role of pastors and uh, uh, is shifting. I would say for for the people that tend to join a church, there is a, a desire to place me on a spiritually higher rung on a ladder, uh, and. Uh, it gets reinforced by the fact that I get to talk for 20 minutes uh, once a week and they don't. <laughs> I get to talk to everybody. Uh, and so I have to be very careful not to set myself up as over and above anybody else or that I have better insight than everybody else. Uh, and so I have to do it from with grounding it in scripture, but also grounding in my own narrowness and my own faultiness. But still, uh, you get that, and and sometimes people will overtrust you simply because you're a pastor, and, and the the thing that comes around and bites you is that they also feel over betrayed if you say something that they disagree with, um, and so that that is a two edged sword uh, to do that. On the flip side, uh, increasingly, I'm doing funerals where the children of people that were going to church really um, really have no relationship with the church and they treat me like a used car salesman. And they, they come and ask me to do a funeral and they're just so full of every bad TV show you've ever seen about pastors slaughtering, caring for people. And uh, they, they, they come in with so many, they're just full of fear and restriction that they see me as kind of an enemy. So I've had to notch my pride down a little bit to say, you know, because part of me wants to say, you know, hey, I've been doing this for 30 years. I'm not completely incompetent, you know. Uh, but uh, I have to deal with the fact that uh, being a pastor sometimes generates too much um, expectation. Uh, and sometimes that expectation is that I'm better than everybody else. And sometimes it's that I'm more dangerous than everybody else. Uh, and so it's a, it's a wonderful world we live in. Uh, very, very interesting. You know, you, you're talking about relationship with God. I don't know what that means. Ah, uh, you're right. And this is this is where it's really exciting having these conversations because uh, sometimes words that I use are so um, so commonly held within my community. No, no, also yeah, a, a, a lot of rabbis, a lot of rabbis, a lot of Jews, a lot of rabbis speak about having a relationship with God. What I can tell you is that I have been speaking to God for many, many years, uh, multiple times a day. I have yet to hear a reply. Um, so I do not know if that is a relationship, because <laughs> if I were to use an analogy with my wife, and uh, that 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 would not be a relationship if only one of us speaks and the other never answers. <laughs> uh, we might have a better marriage, but <laughs> I do not know if that would be a relationship. I, I don't know. I don't know what the uh, 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 what the kind of um, 
uh, marital counseling you do, but that's a pretty typical relationship. To right? <laughs> <laughs> right? But, what I'm, but what I'm saying is, I, uh, from my theology, from my perspective, and I understand that it's very different than many other people, including many of my brothers and sisters in the Jewish religion, I can only have a relationship with someone or something with which I share a common denominator. Mm. And since of in my theology, God is so transcendent. Yes. Therefore, there is nothing in God that I share. Okay. And there is nothing in me that is shareable with God because he's so sacred, meaning he's so separate from me. Right. Uh, God is sacred. I am not. Right. God is holy. I am not because he's so different right. than me. And therefore, by definition, ontologically, I cannot have a relationship with God. I can only worship God. Or I can work for God. Uh, so I love and I, and I always try to understand what people mean um, when they say that they have a relationship with God. What does that mean? Uh, by the way, you sound more Lutheran than I do. <laughs> <laughs> Martin Luther, uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit and Adrian had a, 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 a very good um, a take to say that by and large, the Protestant Reformation was this thing for having a personal relationship with God. But Luther also had a hard time with people who um, went that so that, that that was the sole thing. That in other words, the transcendence of God disappeared. Um, and, you know, for Christians, the, the theologically, uh, it's the idea that God's spirit, which we often refer to as the Holy Spirit, is given to us. In other words, that God comes to us, and that that's a gift of grace. But the symbolism of that was a, um, a bird coming down, a, a symbol of peace and love. Uh, and, uh, and so Luther once said that he was tired of people that felt like they uh, swallowed the Holy Spirit feathers and all. <laughs> <laughs> because then it becomes a beautiful excuse for, God told me to X. You know, and uh, and, and there, therefore, there's no no needs to uh, look to uh, how God has chosen to reveal God's self uh, and 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 God's being above us. Another thing that Luther said, which I probably have never used in a sermon, which once again makes you more Lutheran than me, um, is that this this closeness that we can have with God is a mask that God wears. And he didn't say that in a scary way. What he was saying was that, that for us to really be in direct relationship with God would be crushing. Um, it, 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 it would, uh, it, it's un, not unusual that everywhere in Scripture, Old Testament and New, uh, I think everywhere, um, wherever an angel appears, almost the first words are, do not, do not be afraid. And that's not even God, that's just an angel. Yeah. Um, and so that there's this mask that God chooses to put on so that we who are God's creatures are not crushed in yeah. our relationship with God. Yeah, it's very nice. It's uh, it definitely connects with, uh, that's the reason, uh, according to our rabbis, uh, that uh, Moses, when he first encounters God through the burning bush, he's afraid. He, he steps back because of that uh, 
uh, of the mask of the crashing moment. But, you know, I, let me ask but you. I can say, but personally, me, I often talk to God like he's my Uncle Jake. <laughs> and Uncle Jake answers? Yeah, he does. He does. He does. He does. <laughs> you know, you're talking about um, Luther and, uh, and Martin Luther did not have the greatest opinion on, of Jews. No, he didn't. It didn't. So <laughs> this is you, this is you being polite and giving me a segue. I appreciate that. <laughs> so please explain to me All right. how, at the same time, you as a pastor, right, that is not anti-Semitic, right. I would say maybe you are f- a philo-Semitic. Yeah. Uh, uh, at the same time, you learn. And you appreciate and you accept many teachings from the founder of your denomination, right. knowing that at the same time, he held a deep conviction about other human beings, about Jews that you strongly disagree with. Right. And they're antithetical to your worldview, to your theology, etc., Please explain to me how does that work in thirty seconds, right? Twenty nine. <laughs> uh, let me start off with the most important thing, which is I'm very proud that our branch of Lutheranism, and, and no, well, not just us, but our branch of Lutheranism back in the early nineties, um, realized that some quotes from Luther were used by uh, rabid anti-Semites. In fact, they were used by the Hitler in Nazi Germany. Um, and so there was a document put out, and, it, and the people who put it out really spent time talking with the Jewish community to try to understand, and, and we denounced it as sinful and wrong. You said that um, uh, philo-Semitic or anti-Semitic, uh, I would say systematically I'm probably still anti-Semitic. And by that I'm saying is that I've had not enough interaction to realize that something that I don't see as anti-Semitic can still be painful. Um, uh, and that's and, and, deeper and, than what you think. Yeah, yeah, and, and and but you know, but I mean, that's that's true of all of us. You know that, uh, and especially it just gets amplified when there's power. And in the United States, Christians have more power than Jews. If I may open just a parenthesis, I grew up in Italy, as many of you know. And in Italy, when I was growing up, there were almost no African people. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody looked the same. Yeah. You know, there were very few people that were from Africa. And then at a certain point, when I was a teenager, we started receiving immigrants from Africa, first uh, Central Africa, then North Africa. When I came to this country, I was completely ignorant about, uh, you know, besides watching some movies about the African-American history and their suffering and their tribulations. And so your sentence um, hit a very strong chord in me because I don't know how much because of my lack of experience um, and, and interaction with, for example, African-Americans, maybe there are things in my mind or in the way that I express myself that may be hurtful that I don't mean to, but because I just 
don't know. Nobody taught me. Nobody said to me, hey, don't use that term because that's hurtful. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I did not know. So I, yes, not knowing. This, this might be insensitive, but I have to tell you something that's just, I just thought was so bizarre. When I was living in Japan, uh, this was back in the late 80s, uh, some of the anti-Semitic material about uh, uh, Jews taking over Europe's and banks and stuff like that uh, had been translated into Japanese. Uh, only <laughs> It was being passed around as a potential good strategy for world denomination, domination, <laughs> admiration for the Jewish people for, for for being a smaller group and taking over Europe. So not like, hey, maybe like, we should hey, try this. Let's use that technique. Hey, he yeah, worked for we that. Had, we had to explain to him it was a lie. That's not really what happened. But, but they they were kind of admiring the Jewish people for taking over all the banks. Yeah, <laughs> but but it's interesting how. Often, not knowing, not uh, we need to be aware that our own ignorance of others, and we have to be aware of that and 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 and, and deal with that. Yeah. Let me get back and deal a little bit with Luther, though. Um, the um, one of the things for Luther that was very strong is that uh, no one should ever think that they are free from sin, uh, and that our relationship with God always begins with that understanding. Uh, and so uh, for me as a, uh, uh, a Lutheran to follow the teachings of Luther, if I see a sin like his that, that perhaps he wasn't a, that didn't have the context to understand himself, it's my job to own up to his sin because I, I totally, he taught me that I should do that. Um, and so it's a very Lutheran for, thing for me to say that Luther was sinful about Jews. A, an interesting thing happened, and this kind of shows you about the anti-Semitism and how it worked in that time, is Luther himself was an Old Testament professor. Uh, his doctorate in Old Testament theology. And he, at a certain point, this has been portrayed to me. I'm not by any means a Luther scholar, so I, I trust people that are no more than me. Uh, but uh, uh, he at some point was under the impression that the Jews rejected Christianity because Christianity had messed things so much to not talk about God's grace. So that he was very hopeful that once he explained things from his perspective, all the Jews would become Christians. And when they didn't, uh, his his uh, he be, his bitterness came out, um, and, and so uh, there was a, a naive assumption that the only reason a Jew wasn't a Christian was because the Christians had done a bad job. Um, Interesting. And, and so, and that came out. Now, the other side is the guy was he was ticked off at everybody, uh, and uh, and he uh, he was he could be really crude. Uh, and uh, so uh, it's not hard to find uh, a negative thing about him speaking about Presbyterians. Or <laughs> it's just that, you know, um, there isn't a group out there that hates Presbyterians that is quoting Luther and using Luther as a way to beat up Presbyterians. You know, um, in fact, I, I work with a Presbyterian pastor now. Uh, so, you know, uh, there's lots of ways that I'm different from Martin Luther. I understand. One last thing I know you wanted to touch on in this conversation is 
jumping forward from Luther's time yeah. to the mid 20th century yeah. in the same place in Germany. Yeah. Uh, and so the, the complicity of the Lutheran church in Germany in the Holocaust can you speak a little bit about that? Obviously, this is a huge topic, yeah. but what I'm most interested in is less your recounting of those details because you're not here as a historian right, that's and scholar, but in some of the personal dimension of that, how you have dealt with that legacy of hate and atrocity and, and navigated to the very open uh, engagement with the world you have today. Could you speak to that? Because this is something, first of all, I think many people aren't aware of. And yeah. second of all, that's a very, very difficult burden to bear. Can you speak to that? I was, you know, I was born in 1960. So, uh, you know, I, my, my parents were of the generation of World War II uh, and, uh, you know, watched all the World War II movies and all these things. And uh, it, it was always there. Um, and uh, I was largely blind to uh, what the Lutheran Church was like in Germany during Adolf Hitler's reign. Um, and uh, um, there is a, a, a several people, but the most notable is uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, who uh, stood up, was a Lutheran theologian. He stood up uh, uh, against Nazism. He stood up against the church of his time. He was eventually involved in the plot uh, to kill uh, Hitler, and he was executed before the war ended because of that. And, and so he was the kind of like poster boy for Lutheranism during Nazi times. When I was, this must have been in the late 90s, maybe early 2000s. Um, I'm trying to remember if he's Presbyterian or Methodist, uh, but there is a, uh, his name is Steve Martin. And no, he's not that Steve Martin, but he's a documentary filmmaker. And he did a film that you can still get on Amazon. It's very good. And you can rent it for, I think I looked it up. It was like a $9.95. You could watch it. Um, and it's a documentary about what happened uh, with the Lutheran Church for the majority of the Lutheran Church at the time of Adolf Hitler. And the short answer is they bought it hook, line, and sinker. Theology went out the window. They practically threw out the Old Testament. In fact, it's so crazy for me because Lutherans have been accused of being more faithful to the teachings of Paul than to the Gospels. But they also felt that Paul was too Jewish. Um, and they had uh, terrible things where uh, uh, they would, because uh, it had always been a thing that if somebody wanted to convert to Christianity, it didn't matter their background. But they, 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 they would still be anti-Semitic towards Christians who were Jewish by heritage. Uh, and it was, it was terrible. It was terrible. And when I was watching this, what really struck me is one of the theologians they talked about, his last name is Kittle. And Kittle is to a studier of the New Testament what Webster is to the study of English. Webster wrote this definitive dictionary that we all grew up looking at when we were in school. Well, when I went to school, in order to study the, the New Testament, the oldest copies we have were written in Greek. Uh, and so there is a, oh, 15, 20 volume set of words in Greek and how they were used 
and how they were used in the Bible, how they were used outside the Bible. So you can get the full context of it for translating. And so I, as a studious person, used to go back to Kittle in order to get all my papers done, and I'd be going through all these books. I discovered Kittle was a Nazi. And it just shook me to the core that, that I had been used uh, a, a document like that uh, with totally blithe the fact that the person who generated that held anti-Semitic and virulent views and used the church as a platform to propagate them. And so with that, I thought like, how could a person who had that intellectual capacity to be still, to give me something that would be useful to understand God's word, how could that person have been so wrong? And it, 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 I, I, I've taught this in every church I've been at so far because it isn't about just about what happened then and there, but what happens now? Uh, and one of the things that it reminds me is that one of the things that he makes, uh, T.C. Martin makes as a hypothesis here, is that part of the, what set up Germany was the extreme separation between the right and the left. Um, and dang, if that's not feeling more and more familiar. Um, and uh, that scares me. Uh, it scares me at how quickly religion can be the servant of an evil agenda even my religion. Uh, and uh, that's something I try to hold on to. Happy thought. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no. Uh, you know, I, I think it's uh, very remarkable that you can both look back at your own uh, tradition and at your teachers. Yeah. Um, and and look at them um, with a critical eye and be able to extract from their teachings what is useful and good and and helpful in your uh, trajectory in your life and um and and, and cast aside um uh, you know the negative messages and and, and the anti-semitism that they uh, that they thought any any thoughts for closing uh, your time with uh, with us today? No, but thank you for doing this. People need to be in conversation right now, uh, and that's what a what a, a good podcast is is a, a conversation. Boy, uh, none of us have, have have got it right, but we can uh, learn from each other and and maybe be a little bit tempered in our own self righteousness. And I think that's an important thing right now. For sure, I enjoyed uh, um, very much our session today, and I've learned from you a number of things. Uh, so much so that uh, you know, you said that you are maybe still a little bit an anti-Semite <laughs> because uh, because uh, you do not have enough interaction with Jews. So let me uh, officially, formally invite you to maybe another session that we can do uh, sometimes during the year. Um, where we can discuss some more of our theological differences and commonalities. Because I do believe that ultimately the goal uh, that we all have is uh, to create strong communities, to create good communities, to create communities that help others. And uh, there are multiple ways to God. And, uh, and so if you do your job and I do my job, 
uh, then maybe this this world will be better, maybe. Amen. Dan Hager is senior pastor with the All Saints Lutheran Church in Phoenix. Thanks so much for joining us for the show today. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe to Conversation with the Rabbi on your favorite podcast app. You can also find the latest episodes online at conversationwiththerabbi.com. For all of us here at phx.fm, I'm Adrian McIntyre. Thanks for listening, and please join us for the next Conversation with the Rabbi.